Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. This episode is the first of a mini-series which focuses on each of the fellowship opportunities within the field of dermatology. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Alana Bree, a board-certified pediatric dermatologist and founder of the nonprofit organization, A Children's House for the Soul. Today, I'm your host, Austin Black. See you on the skin side. All right, so welcome to the show. Today, we have Dr. Bree with us. Dr. Bree is a retired pediatric dermatologist and founder of a nonprofit organization called the Children's House for a Soul. We are so excited to have Dr. Bree on the show with us today. I want to say thank you for being here. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Yeah, of course. So starting off, kind of questions we ask everyone. So what led you to dermatology in the first place? So interestingly, um, dermatology was not on my radar when I entered medical school. So I was one of those kids that kind of got into trouble when I was younger because I wasn't challenged at school. So luckily, I had good mentors and teachers who saw that they needed to keep me busy. So um, instead of getting study hall where I would get in trouble, I had to go help assist in the special needs classroom um, in the elementary school. And from there, I really fell in love with the idea of trying to help children. So I wanted to go into pediatrics since seventh grade, that experience. Um, And all through medical school, that was my focus. I wanted to go into pediatrics. And I would tell all my you know, rotations. I'm here to learn whatever you have to teach me, but I'm going into pediatrics. Like (laughs) that was where I was headed. And then we had luckily in my medical school, a required two week rotation um, in dermatology. And during that rotation, I realized that I loved dermatology. Now it was also the last, yeah, two weeks of my third year. Um, And I was so naive that I didn't even realize that dermatology was competitive. So I went into the course director and said, I want to apply to derm. I love it so much. And she's like, oh, you poor thing. You don't even know about dermatology, do you? She's like, this is not when you make up your mind to go into dermatology. And I'm like, well, this is when it happened for me. I can't help it. I did this two-week rotation and I can't imagine doing anything else because I always really wanted to be an artist. Um, And so it really did capture that visual aspect. Um, Just, and again, I have always looked at the skin as almost like a canvas with different patterns and textures. And and as a Christian physician, I look at God as the artist uh, on that canvas. Um, And so rashes and birthmarks and all of the things on the skin really to me are just unique pieces of art. Um, And then I had done a lot of microbiology research in undergrad. So it combines that and I loved immunology and I love genetics and it just has all of those aspects. Like it was so perfect. I really, I had a baby fit during that two weeks to study and I just couldn't put it down. And so that is kind of how I knew. And 
yeah, the rest is history. I, I definitely was not someone that was the best of applicants. So I hope that gives other people <laughs> um, some hope that they too can match in dermatology, even though on paper, they may not be a perfect applicant because I did have two children in medical school. Um, and so that, and I took a year off um, to be at home with those children. So my step scores too were reflective of the fact that I pretty much didn't study for the steps, um, just because I had two children at home. And what I did is read through the, the little study guide the night before. Um, so my, my step scores were scores that would be great for a pediatrics, <laughs> you know, fellowship or a pediatrics residency application, but not for a dermatology. So again, I wasn't AOA. I hadn't published anything in dermatology. I had to scramble to get a fourth year rotation in dermatology so I could even get a letter from a dermatologist. So um, I, it makes me say that things work out the way they are supposed to work out. Um, and then because I had a husband who is also in my same medical school class and we had to couples match, um, that also heightened <laughs> the... Um, complexity of applying to um, dermatology. So, you know, and I know everybody talks about the metrics and how many interviews you need to have and all of those things um, to match. And I will tell you that I only had three interviews. Um, and one was at my home institution, which I love dearly. One was at the institution where I ended up going. And the other was basically just a pity interview. Um, and I was so much told that in the interview, they wanted my husband. And he did end up going to that program that was in the same city where I went. Um, but in my um, interview, they told me that there was no way I was going to match and that it would be too much of an uphill climb for me in that program. Um, so anyway, yes, it's good to look good on paper, <laughs> but it also doesn't guarantee that you're going to get in. And if it, you don't look good on paper, it also doesn't totally negate your chances of getting into dermatology. So never give up hope. And if it is what you love to, you know, and you can see yourself doing nothing but becoming a I say go for it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Lots of um, reaching to lots of people there. I think people who have families during school, um, people who are maybe trying to match with a significant other and the trouble that that might bring or a challenge that that might bring, maybe deciding late on dermatology. Um, one thing I feel like going through medical school myself, part of me wishes that for somehow or another rotations were in the beginning. We kind of got exposure to all the areas and we knew from that point going forward what we actually wanted to do. Um, you can shadow and do things like that to try and gain that experience, but being kind of hands-on in each of those different specialties or areas of practice um, is really important. So while maybe dermatology was your last little rotation that you had, um, obviously getting that experience was very crucial and beneficial for you. Um, but it sounds like pediatrics kind of was something you knew right out of the gate from seventh grade, it sounds like I want to be working with children and then finding kind of the niche in pediatric dermatology to do that. Yes. Um, yes. And we were actually in um, that rotation 
um, we had a journal club. And in that journal club, we read about Mark Dahl, who used to be president of the Academy of Dermatology, and he started Camp Discovery through the AAD. And we were reading about uh, camp. There was an article published about that. And when I realized that there was a fellowship in PD Derm and that there was Camp Discovery that I could go to every year, I was sold. Yeah, sold, sold, sold. I knew going in that I wasn't going into dermatology. I was going into pediatric dermatology. Right. So one question, I guess, with that, is that something that you may have known during your interviews that you were interested in pursuing pediatric dermatology? I know sometimes the advice is a little bit um, all over the place as to do you want to kind of lay all your cards out and say, here's my true interest, or do you kind of want to say, uh, I'm keeping my options open? I always think that honesty is the best policy. That's just, I think if you have a true interest, I would put it out there. If you don't have a true interest, which I know um, some people have heard that maybe saying you want to go into pediatrics may help your application, um, that will out. The derm community is small. Um, so just watch what you say. And again, you can always change your mind, but if you don't, sincere interest in a program. And if you don't have a sincere interest in a fellowship, don't say it. Because that I still remember an applicant who told us he was ranking us number one. And if he would have truly ranked us number one, he would have been at our program. And he didn't come to our program. And I saw him many times <laughs> since he said that. <laughs> so again, um, the Durham community is smaller than you might realize. Um, so again, just be sincere and be truthful. And if you love pediatric dermatology, I say, say it, but if you're not, it's, that's fine too. You know, sure. just be honest. Yeah. And if you, if going into cosmetics makes your heart sing, say, I can't wait to inject every face I see with Botox and fillers, like <laughs> just be honest, you know, like <laughs> you do you and do it well. <laughs> sure. And you want to be at a program that understands that and is excited about you pursuing your passion too so that's that's right because then they're going to support you better you know because they know how to support you and you'll have people that respect that and understand it just right out of the gate so then yeah you'll get a better experience it'll be a better fit in the end so it sounds like from the get-go you were pretty interested in pediatrics so i'd assume your interest in pursuing pediatric dermatology fellowship was pretty unwavering, but did you ever think about maybe doing Mohs or dermatopathology maybe during your residency training? So yes, I um, would have to say I was 100% committed to pediatric dermatology um, and I really didn't waver in that going forward, but I really did love dermatopathology. And um, again, I think dermatopathologists are some of the smartest people in the room as far as being able to do the clinical pathological um, correlation. Um, and so, and I do just love, uh, you know, dermatopathology, the pictures under the microscope, what the skin looks like underneath the microscope. Um, it's just so beautiful. So, um, but I couldn't imagine myself sitting behind a microscope at any point in my career. I really like direct patient care. Um, and definitely not Mohs um, or general derm as far as, you know, taking care of older patients that 
yes, don't have such cute skin. <laughs> <laughs> so everything was kind of interesting, but PD Derm had your heart from the get-go. Yes, yes, it did. And it still does. Good, good. So with the fellowships for pediatric dermatology, um, I was reading online, some of them seem to be one year, some can be two years, kind of depends on where you go. What was your program like? So interestingly, I am so old and gray-haired that pediatric dermatology was not a board-certified specialty when I graduated. Um, So um, the fellowships looked a lot different than they do right now. Um, And so a lot of the pediatric dermatologists were grandfathered in. Um, Some of our pediatric dermatology greats in the field um, did pediatrics and did dermatology, um, but there was not a fellowship. So um, I was kind of in that middle when they were thinking about making a fellowship and we're still trying to figure that out, what that looked like. So at the beginning, um, pediatric dermatology fellowships were two years. Um, and then I was actually part of the young leaders in pediatric dermatology group. And we discussed that it would be hard to ask someone to do a two-year fellowship Um, and then to graduate making a little bit less money than their colleagues who did a one-year fellowship and making a lot more money. So again, you know, as far as a recruitment, um, it's just harder to get people to come into PD Derm unless they have a true interest. But the really great thing about pediatric dermatologists is we all went into it eyes wide open, willing to do a fellowship and make less money. Um, because it's something that we love so much. So it really is like a family reunion going to a society of pediatric dermatology meeting. Um, and so many like minds it's, it's, it is very refreshing that little niche, um, in the dermatology world. I think it's a really special group of people in my opinion, but, um, yeah, it's, it is, it's a great field. It's a great field, but yeah, you don't make as much money and that's okay. Cause that's not really where our rewards come from. They come from our interactions with our patients and living out our passions and, and how we can help the best use our gifts to help, you know, the people that are in front of us. Sure. That's great. So you're kind of in a unique situation where you were maybe on the front lines when the official fellowship came to be. Did you have any insight into that or how have things evolved or changed um, and what fellowships look like today compared to when you did your training? Yes, yes. So um, I actually got connected with Elaine Siegfried, um, who is the best mentor in the whole wide world, in my opinion. Um, and I think it's really important to get a mentor. Um, and, you know, for the longest time, I couldn't call her anything but Dr. Siegfried because I met her as a medical student. Um, now I call her Elaine. Um, but that took me many a year. <laughs> and I had to practice about 20 years before I felt comfortable doing that. Um, but yes, she was on the forefront of that change coming forward. And I really actually wanted to apply and do pediatrics and then do dermatology like had been. And she actually encouraged me very much not to do that. um, As I was making up my mind, because again, it was hard for me to let go of the pediatrics fully, because that's what I was so committed to. Um, But basically, when you get money, 
in your residency, a lot of that comes from governmental sources um, that pays for your residency training. And basically, when you match into a residency, um, you only get so much funding. Um, and then if you go into a second residency, you don't have any more funding because you've used it all up in your first year. So she said that would decrease my chance of getting into dermatology because so many programs, if you don't have that governmental funding, wouldn't look at your application, right? So at the time, you know, and there are programs that will, you know, take people that have done other training and then want to come into dermatology if they have private sources of funds. Um, but she told me definitely don't do the two residency thing in this current, you know, milieu of things. And so she had told me just to plan on doing a fellowship when I got done. Now, when I got done, they still, there were some formalized fellowships, but it was really truly just a handful. And again, that couples matching thing and having kids um, in medical school meant I had kids in internship and residency still. Um, so it was very challenging. We didn't have any in the city where I lived at the time. And um, my husband was now a first year cardiology fellow. So I had to do a little bit of creative out of the box thinking, which as you can probably tell, I do a lot of that having kids in medical school, taking a year off. And I actually started a cleaning company in that year called the Oh, what was it? The house medics. It was a cute little band aid, <laughs> and I cleaned physicians' houses <laughs> in that year off to make money um, to support our growing family. Um, but anyway, going back to fellowship, um, I was able to um, do a fellowship in Chicago. I lived in St. Louis at the time, and I did part time fellowship, part time faculty, crazy enough. Um, so for two days a week, I was the chief of pediatric dermatology at my institution. And then I would get on the first flight on Wednesday morning, fly up to Chicago, take the L, go to their teaching conferences, do clinics all day. And I took the last flight out on Friday um, and then would come back home and be, you know, <laughs> be back to my 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 role is chief of dermatology. So um, it was a really interesting year. Um, and at the time, you just needed to do 60% of clinical. So I was getting my 60% of clinical in, um, and then had to do a project. And so I truly have an informal fellowship, like a lot of the, the grandfathered ones. So, um, but it was a fabulous year, really, I learned so much. And then starting up a peds derm, <laughs> program on my own was really interesting because um, my mentor, who was at the program when I started, decided to uh, try her hand at the private practice world um, three months into me starting my residency. So I actually didn't have a PD derm mentor as far as in the clinics with me. Um, but she was still, of course, a mentor because, you know, She's just got that in her. She can't not be a mentor. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it was just a really interesting experience. I really had to learn a lot of PD derm on my own. We had a resident clinic and I, you know, asked them to schedule me all pediatrics so I could be exposed to that. Um, so yeah, you, I think you can do just about anything and figure it out. Um, but sometimes it takes some out of the box thinking. But yes, yeah, so that's how I got my fellowship training. 
Um, and then they did decide to make it one year. So most programs are one year. Some may ask you for a second year, just because a lot of, you know, pediatric dermatologists really want us to be well-trained um, because kids are not many adults and you really do need to know the development of children to be able to treat them well and incorporate that into um, how you look at things. And then, you know, as far as an adult, of course, if you have a question, you're going to just biopsy an adult, right? Because it's not a big deal. Um, but for kids, you really want to avoid that biopsy because you don't want to traumatize them. Um, so you really do think you approach things a little bit differently. You do a little bit more clinical testing, if you will, with maybe prescribing a medicine. Um, and if it doesn't get better being like, oh, okay, that's not what it is if it didn't work. Um, so I think it is just kind of a slightly different way to approach dermatology. So, you know, but I got to say experience is the best teacher. <laughs> um, and you're going to learn all throughout your career, no matter what field you end up going into. And that's the beauty of being a physician is you're a lifelong learner. Um, and that's what makes it really exciting. And I really do kind of totally geek out when I get my PD Derm journal. Like I can't wait to read it. It's like, I have just got the best gift in the mail that anybody could have sent me. Um, so again, I hope that everybody listening can find that passion and find that area that makes them just want to get out of bed and go to work every morning. And I will tell you, PD Derm is that for me. Yeah, that's very obvious. And your energy is contagious with your excitement about what you do. Um, your training also as well. That's very admirable. The uh, the schedule that you balanced there for a little while with the family and traveling every week for training. Um, definitely different, I think, than a lot of the programs now, but definitely, like you mentioned, it was a great experience and probably would not trade it for anything else. Absolutely. And again, the mentors that I met um, in Chicago, um, Annette Wagner, she taught me a lot of the surgical PD derm that I know. and. That was part of the practice that I really loved having OR block time when I, you know, I moved down to Texas um, after my husband got a fellowship down here. So I had to follow him with our kids and I'm glad we did. Texas is home now, but um, I had just started up this program at, at St. Louis U and had gotten George Haruza, who, you know, was president of the AAD, he, I got him to donate a laser to the OR because we didn't have a laser at the children's hospital. And I started up clinics at the children's hospital. And I, you know, had all these big plans of having a fellowship eventually of my own and all those things. And I really didn't think my husband would get the fellowship in Texas. And that's why I told him to go ahead and apply because <laughs> who's going to get an interventional fellow? interventional cardiology fellowship outside of a cardiology program where you train that doesn't happen so it wasn't supposed to happen that way <laughs> but clearly it was and again texas is home and i got to work at texas children's which was great um i do think you know i've gotten to do a little bit of academics where i was the chief of pediatric dermatology which is again almost comical but i i did run the service and started it up and then moved to Texas and at Texas Children's, I was the most junior faculty. Um, and so that was an interesting experience at a bigger hospital, right? Um, and then I felt 
burned out at one point and knew that I couldn't continue and I'd stepped away from it and then, you know, kind of came into private practice. Um, and again, I never looked at private practice opportunities. I always thought I was going to be an academic pediatric dermatologist and have OR block time and live that out and train medical students and residents to love pediatric dermatology forever and ever and have lots of great pediatric dermatologists to come with that ripple effect. But um, yeah, it, it definitely, again, I think being flexible and realizing that you can kind of plot your course and then just be ready for it to change. <laughs> Yeah. Because that is the one sure thing is change, right? So, and yeah, starting my own clinic, that was an interesting experience. I did that for eight years um, as a solo practitioner and yeah, learned a whole lot about a whole lot that wasn't dermatology. <laughs> um, and, you know, I do have to say a lot of times we feel like we can't do something just because it's not out there or we can't do something because we weren't trained. The thing is we're smart people. We can do a lot. So don't discount, you know, the fact that you can kind of write your own story in a lot of ways. Um, yes, you have to get into dermatology residency first, and that is a hurdle. I'm not going to lie. Um, but it's a hurdle that anybody can get over um, if it's meant to be. Um, and then after that, you know, you're going to learn just like in any field you would go into, you're going to have mentors and teachers that you're going to learn how you want to practice. You're also going to learn from them how you don't want to practice. Um, so, you know, and then you will make it your own. And that's, that's the thing. I think we just really need to remember that we're going to be the best, you know, we're the only person. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but my point is like, you can only be you. So don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to compare yourself to anybody else. Don't, you know, and again, just like going back to, if you want to inject people's lips to look just gargantuan, and that is what you love to do, do, do it well and be the best at it. Like, you know, but if you want to sit behind a microscope and never see or touch a patient, great, then do that. Um, and go about your life and do the things that help you to get to that place. Um, and again, I think comparison, it's hard not to do that as medical students. Um, and the saying of, you know, comparison is the thief of joy is so true because you are being compared to other students. And that's part of where you're at um, in this chapter of life. But, you know, try to let that go as much as you can. And remember that you're not going to be like somebody else because you aren't gifted and made the same way. Um, and you want to be the best version of you. Um, and I think when we feel like we have to explain that, or then, you know, just, just live it. Don't explain it, just live it. <laughs> um, mm. And that I think is how you don't get burned out too, is if you're being true to yourself and your passions and, and what brings you joy, that's going to radiate out of you. Um, and you'll, you know, be much less likely to get burned out. Um, and just stay focused on that, because I got a little distracted with the noise. Um, and any, 
any setting that you can practicing will have some noise because there is the um, administrative side of medicine, no matter where you work. Um, And there's the things that we don't like to do. All jobs have things that we don't like to do. I, you know, prior authorizations for medicines that I knew patients should have, I just, they would make my skin crawl and make me want to just jump through the phone and punch some people in the face sometimes. But (laughs) I knew that was not going to get the patient, the medicine that they needed. So I put on my happy voice and I got on the phone and I thanked the person on the other end of the phone for doing the hard work that they were doing (laughs) um, for helping my patient get the medicine that they needed um, and started those conversations in that way and framed it differently. Right. So a lot of life is our perspective and, and how we frame the world for ourselves and for our patients too. I think we need to remember that too. We have such a powerful voice in the lives of our patients and, and the words that we say matter um, to ourselves. They matter to ourselves in the mirror. When we look in the mirror Um, again, the really that you're going to hear most often is the one that you're playing for yourself. Um, And so use positive words when you talk to yourself. I think is very important. Um, I think it's important to teach our patients to do the same thing. Um, and then, you know, as far as patient care, remember, you may be having a bad day, but to that patient that you're sharing maybe a significant diagnosis of a genetic skin condition or a skin cancer, you know, those patients don't have the knowledge that we have and know what to expect. And, you know, they're still going to have to process it in their own way and they may not hear everything you have to say, but I do think it is really important to remember that each interaction with each patient, we can make a difference. Um, And I think if you approach it that way and just remember, even if you are having just a terrible day, you're mad because your schedule's all messed up, you know, you're, you know, you were late to clinic, you're running behind all of these things, right? You got to check that at the door and come in ready to serve your patients every single time. Um, And that's hard to do, but I will actually tell you it will prevent burnout because if you are ready to serve your patients, you're going to have a much better experience with that patient. They're going to have a much better experience with you and that positive energy will build. Um, And, you know, sit down, take a breath and look your patient in the eyes and treat them as a patient, not a diagnosis. Um, and just, again, the words we use are powerful. I, there are certain words that I really dislike in medicine, like mutation. Don't tell somebody they have a mutation. You're telling them they're a mutant basically, um, is how they hear that. Right. So you have a change in your DNA. Um, you know, you have this anomaly well, oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. I have an anomaly. Just say you have a difference that some people don't have, but you have this difference in your skin. You know, like, again, just think of some of the things. And it's fine when we're in our social circles with our colleagues to use those words. Um, But patients don't understand those. Um, So really try your patients aren't going to think you're smarter if you talk big words to them. <laughs> They're just not going to understand what you're saying or maybe even feel bad about it. Um, they really want you to explain it in terms that they can understand. I think that's 
great advice, some great life advice sprinkled in there and some great advice for anyone in clinical practice. And then obviously some good dermatology specific advice there as well. You mentioned um, previously, and then even in our most recent conversation here, um, biopsies aren't as common or not first line options when it comes to treating pediatric patients. And then you made mention of some of the genetic conditions. How are the diagnoses or conditions that you see as a pediatric dermatologist different from those that say a general practice dermatologist sees? Yes. So I do think, you know, the genetic skin diseases um, are probably the biggest and then the birthmarks um, that we see. So um, I'd say those are probably the two biggest categories. Um, And of course, you're not going to see skin cancers. Um, And if you do, it's probably part of a genetic syndrome. Um, So and I do think it's really important um, to help because at the beginning, if you're seeing a small child, the parents are really in some ways your patient um, because they're going to get to write the script and the story that their children hear and understand about themselves. So, you know, developmentally, kids, when they're little, they don't even know they have a condition until they're about preschool age when they start to do you know, start to notice differences between themselves and others. And that's the first time that really comes into play. So, um, and I will tell you so many times parents will speak negatively about the condition in front of their children. And then I would usually send the kids out to say, oh, hey, can you go get the nurse for me? And then I would have a quick conversation with the parents about, if you're saying these negative things, that's how your child's going to view it. Like you get to write the script for them and how they feel about themselves. I said, you know, so many times I had the conversation of tell them (laughs) that this is beautiful. And even if you don't believe it, it'll help you believe it. And to see it that way too. Um, Because some parents do feel guilty, like they might've caused something, some genetic condition. So I think it's important to tell them that this is how their child was made. It's not their fault um, and help kind of remove some of that guilt and shame for them, um, because that is something that I see quite frequently in parents with these genetic skin conditions is it's not your fault. This is how they were made to be. And this is, you know. The gift you were given, so let's make the most of that gift um, by helping them love the skin they're in together. Um, and then, you know, as you get older, patients, you want to make sure you include them in the conversation. So, after about the age of, 10, I really talk directly to the patient, and I really don't address the parent so much. Um, and of course then when we have a discussion about things, but you really want to help that child become um, an advocate for themselves and their healthcare and to understand why they're there. Um, And the other interesting thing is I've had patients come in where the parent will call before clinic and say, I don't want you to talk about this in front of them. And I'm like, that doesn't really help that child. Because it's clearly about them and they're already worrying about the things that you don't want them to hear. And if you don't include them in the conversation, they're not going to be able to process it in a healthy way. Um, So, of course, I would 
dismiss the child per their wishes and then try and explain to them that we really should talk about this with their child. Because again, it is a partnership with the family and the families get to decide, am I going to use this medicine that this doctor is prescribing on my child or not? So um, you don't get to separate that, you know, you have to make sure the parent is on board with the child and then the child is on board too. Sometimes, you know, you have to say clearly, mom, you want this to be treated, but clearly Johnny here sitting in the chair could care less. So it's going to be a battle every night when you want him to put on his medicine. So if this isn't going to have any permanent effect on his skin, we just let it slide. (laughs) Um, So I think you just need to handle those conversations, you know, in the best way that you can. And sometimes your words are going to be well-received and other times they're not. Um, I did have a little girl that was pulling her hair out and mom just couldn't come to terms with it. Um, and she kept saying in front of her, she's not pulling her hair out. She's not pulling her hair out. And I'm like, she's pulling her hair out, but now she feels like she can't talk to you about it because you've closed that door. Right. So a lot of times we do have to help the parents, um, when you're dealing with pediatrics, but then there's also been times where, um, parents have wanted me to do certain things that just aren't necessary. They're very cosmetic and the child's young enough that it's not impacting their self-esteem at this age and it's going to get better on its own or what have you. And if we're going to go cut it out, it's going to leave a more, a more permanent scar that, you know, with a hemangioma, it's probably going to go away and look just fine. Um, not always. Um, but there's certain things where I've had to say, the real patient here in the room is your child. And that's my first responsibility is to take the best care of your child. Um, And I want to respect your wishes, but this is not in the best interest of your child. Um, And I've had to say, have those hard conversations too. So um, I think that's the biggest part is the family is part of the patient (laughs) in pediatrics. That's great. Great advice for how to it sounds like uh, kind of a fine line, I guess, that you have to walk with having the parents involved, making sure they're on board, but also making sure that they're supportive of the best interest of the patient. Um, and so I think that that's some, some great advice um, for those of us really going to be interacting with patients in any field, but especially in pediatrics. Um, yes. One thing you mentioned is kind of the catchphrase that I associate with you is, is loving the skin that you're in. Um, and kind of want to shift gears a little bit and talk about a children's house for the soul. So if you could just give us a little overview of what the children's house for a soul is and kind of the mission behind it. Yes. Yes. So a children's house for the soul, we are a community for those with skin conditions. And I will tell you, um, kids, they care about having their physical conditions treated, but what they really struggle with is the social, emotional, and spiritual aspects of living with a visible difference. And so a children's house for the soul supports those needs um, that don't necessarily get met in the clinic. Um, And they may be touched on in the clinic by physicians, but it's really hard in a clinical setting to make a diagnosis, explain the diagnosis, give a medicine, explain the medicine, how to use it, what the potential side effects are, um, and then what to expect going forward, right? To then touch on the social, emotional, spiritual. And I think we should all leave space if we're dermatologists for at least 
a bit of that conversation with our patient. Um, but you're not going to be able to swing that door wide open on that conversation more than likely. Um, so I think it's really important for all of us to refer our patients to the patient support organizations and advocacy organizations that are out there. The Coalition of Skin Diseases is a great organization that we're affiliated with, and they have the disease-specific groups in there, and we're part of that. Um, what's unique about us is we support um, children and their families, which I really think is so important. Again, as we talked about, the family unit is so important to the children. Um, so I think it's great that we are able to support both of those aspects of living with a visible difference, but the social, emotional, spiritual, these kids have to wear their disease basically for the whole world to see. Um, and again, I was involved with Camp Discovery and I would encourage everybody to volunteer at one of the Camp Discovery sites at some point in your training or in your career going forward, um, even if you go into a different field, because these kids are just really special kids. And when they come together in a camp setting, they just kind of do what we call turbo bonding um, because all of them are so used to being stared at, made fun of, looked at, um, that when they get together, they just get it. And their skin is not important to anybody. Um, and it's just such Oh, a life-giving experience. You will come home from camp very, very tired. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of work that goes into it, but your soul will be filled um, because these kids are just great. And when they get to be in a safe setting like that, or at a children's house for the soul, where they can come through the orange doors and kind of put down that invisible armor that they put on every time they walk out of the house. Um, it's just really special. They finally get to be in a safe place and just be kids and not a kid with eczema and bloody skin or a kid with that big birthmark on their face or um, those things. So it's just, yeah, a children's house for the soul. We get to see these kids truly come alive um, outside of their skin, if you will. Um, and it's just really special. Um, for them to know they are made a masterpiece. Again, that's another one of our taglines is, you know, we were each made to be a beautiful and unique masterpiece and none of us have been made the same way and none of our skin has been made exactly the same way. So they get to stand out in the world and hopefully they can see that as something, you know, like I tell so many of these kids, I'm like, so many people are trying to be like Insta famous or whatever. Right. I'm like, you already have a platform. People are already looking at you. So many people want to be looked at. They're doing all these crazy things. I'm like, look at you. You already stand out. Lucky you. <laughs> so again, the way we frame things in our minds and for our patients and just give them a different perspective on it. Sometimes that's all they really need to be healed. I love that. I love the, and you mentioned this earlier too, some of the patients that sounds like that you have, um, the parents are very interested in having the condition treated. Um, maybe the children, like you mentioned, don't even know they have it or don't even care that they have it. Um, and I think that that's something that oftentimes we might not think about with our patients, um, maybe more so with adult patients, they're coming to us because they want something to change in the appearance um, or they don't like the way in which it feels on their skin or something like that. But with the children, it's the parents that make these appointments or the parents that seem to notice these things. Um, and so the, the children, like, like you mentioned, might not even know or really even care, um, but they're maybe at times made to feel 
different because they are looked at. And so being with other children around them um, who maybe, you know, love being in that different skin, like you mentioned, um, that's, that's awesome. That is, that's truly incredible and truly great. And then having the, the families be a part of it too and connect, um, share those experiences. And I'm sure we've all heard stories of community support groups or Facebook groups and how those can impact. But I think that having one for children is, is very unique and very special and very exciting to, to potentially be involved with. Yes, yes it is. It has been a true joy in my life. And yeah, it's, it's good stuff. It's really Was it something stuff. you wanted to, I know you mentioned you were thinking initially academics, let's start a fellowship, let me train students. And then you kind of transitioned to Texas children. Then you mentioned you had a moment of burnout. Um, was it kind of in that moment of burnout where you, I don't want to say found this new passion, but maybe you rekindled this passion for the children's house for a soul? So interestingly, um, when I walked away, um, I didn't know if I was going to go back. I was, I say that I wasn't just burned out. I was crispy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and again, it was more just, I was, and at first I felt like such a failure because I felt like I had got to the pinnacle of where I wanted to be. Right. Um, like I'm at a great children's hospital in this great city. I should love what I'm doing. And at first I felt like such a failure, but I had somebody help me frame it. And I think that's why it's good to have people around us and mentors around us that can help us through these tough times because we're all going to have them. Um, And, you know, just explained, you know, square peg in a round hole. It's not a big deal. You just don't fit in that hole and it doesn't make the hole bad. and It doesn't make the peg bad. It just means they don't go together. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of times we think this is what we want. And then we get in that situation. It's not what we wanted at all, but you don't know what you don't know. I say that to patients all the time. I say that to students all the time. I, I mean, you don't know what you don't know and you think that's going to be great, but then you realize it's not a good fit. And that doesn't make you a failure. It just means it's not a good fit and you need to figure out what a better fit would be. And you know, you don't need to walk away in shame and say, oh, I failed. That's terrible. I'm a bad person. I didn't fit at this great institution, which I got to say, I had a little bit of that when I walked away. Um, But I actually, luckily, I um, have a very amazing husband who was very supportive. (laughs) Um, And he let me just kind of catch my breath and take a couple years. And I got to do some mission work around the world and Nicaragua, Guatemala, Kenya, Tanzania. And I got to help kids with skin conditions. I also got to reconnect um, more with my spiritual, my religious side. Again, I'm a Christian doc and I felt like that was so important to me, but it was so separate from my life. I was leading as a physician um, and I I was keeping them very separate. um, And I found that through having my own practice, I could marry those things that were very important things to me. in a way that I wanted to, that is the nice thing about being the boss is you're the boss. (laughs) Um, But I got to tell you, stuff rolls uphill too really well. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of the drawback. But, you know, I was able to ask on my health history forms, if people had, you know, a spiritual history, um, and ask if I could pray with them on my, on my forms, because we asked them all kinds of like, do you have sex? And 
what kind of partners do you have? And do you smoke drugs? You know, like, do you take drugs? Do you drink alcohol? Like, why can't we ask about the religious preference? I don't, it's not a, it should not be an area of taboo because we know that praying with your patients, no matter what the religion is, there is so much scientific data to support doing that. And again, I, I hate that that has become a taboo subject. Um, and it doesn't, again, if that's not a passion of yours or something that you feel is important, of course, you're not going to incorporate it. But I also think incorporating that I found was very beneficial for my patients. And in each of the rooms, I had a little thing that said, I just considered it a gift to pray with them um, and that I would be happy to pray with them. But if not, I totally respected their wishes and they could flip a little chip that said yes or no. And I will tell you over my time here at a children's house, um, in the clinical practice part of it. Um, I prayed with people that said they were atheist on that forum that said they were every other religion, but Christian. And I always respected that in my prayers. Um, just like I respected anything else that they shared with me, um, that was sensitive and personal. So, um, I, I do have to say that was a real joy in my practice um, that I got to bring that back because I really realized that on the mission field, you really just get to focus on patients, which is so why we go into this. <laughs> and I got to pray with patients and it was just, it made me so alive. And I'm like, I want to come back and capture a little bit of that in a clinical space. So I purchased a house and renovated it. I, and I don't ever wear a white coat. If you deal with kids, you know, wearing a white coat is like the kiss of death. Um, also never put them up on the table, just examine them in their parents' lap or on the floor or wherever they are. Your eyes work <laughs> wherever the kid is placed <laughs> in a place where they feel safe, don't scream and yell, and you'll have a much better day in a clinic with a pediatric patient's population if you just examine them where they're at and they're comfortable. But anyway, going back, yes, it was, it was definitely a calling, I would say, as far as starting the practice, setting it up that way. And then I was able to use my clinic um, to support the nonprofit. So that was the, I really wanted to come back and actually start the nonprofit to support the social, emotional, and spiritual aspects of living with a visible difference and felt called to do that. But I didn't know how to fund that. And um, I really only knew how to be a pediatric dermatologist, but that made money. So I purchased the house, made my clinic in this little house. And then um, that gave a place for the, the nonprofit to function with no overhead, no rent, um, no need for a phone because they used our phone line, no need to have the nonprofit have internet, pay for internet because they used ours. So um, it was just, again, a unique way to, to figure out how to get what I really felt called to do. Um, so again, outside the box thinking, I can't advocate for it enough. I feel like I've done that all throughout my life. And because of that, you can really navigate and, and find a way to bring joy to yourself in those in your circle of influence. Um, so yeah, I would encourage everyone to go out there and just just live well. And that's gonna that's gonna have a trickle-down effect, just like living poorly has a trickle-down effect on the people. Um, so do what you can to keep yourself in that positive mental space. Um, 
And when you're not, reach out to your colleagues, reach out to your friends, reach out to the people that know and love you. because it's hard to be a physician. It's not It's not easy. We know that. Physician suicide is way too high. I've had friends that have committed suicide that are physicians. And it's, it's just a tragedy. Um, we need to remember that we belong together. Mother Teresa said that. We have no peace when we forget that we belong together. We all belong together in this world. We all affect each other. We all have ripple effects on other people. And you want those ripple effects to be positive. Um, so do what you can to make that difference and to go out and live that difference in the world, whatever that looks like for you. Oh, that's great advice. I, I think if anything from today, I think that the take home message I've had at least is to be true to yourself, do what you love and explore your passions, even if it's not a straight path to get to where you want eventually end up. Um, and your passions can change or the the way in which you get there might not be traditional or go against the conventional norms in a way, if you will, but stay true to what you want to do and what brings you happiness and joy. And that will emanate to the patients that you treat and to all those around you. Amen. So true. So <laughs> true. And if you love living inside the box, live inside that box. One of my children is a live inside the box person. And every time she steps out of the box, she about has a panic attack. So again, <laughs> live inside the box. If you need to live inside the box and do it just exactly, <laughs> you know, the way you need to do it. So, and again, don't feel like you need to apologize for that either. <laughs> yeah. Great. Great to remember. Great to remember. Well, any final parting words you want to leave um, advice for those pursuing dermatology in general or pediatric dermatology or just kind of a general advice to anyone in the career of medicine? Oh gosh, that's a hard one. I guess just remember that you were made a masterpiece. You yourself were made a masterpiece and don't let, don't let anything steal that from you. Um, Because the world is hard. Medicine is hard. You know, all of those things and plug into Plug into what you need to, to keep yourself healthy, I think is really, really important because we're out here to help the health of other people. We need to make sure we take care of our health too, and the health of our families. Um, So don't sacrifice that and all of our doing good in the world. Great. Is there anywhere that our audience can keep up with you or the Children's House for a Soul or reach out to you with any questions? Yes. So you can reach me at my email, empower um, at achildrenshouse.org. And I will do my best to stay on top of it. But I always say email is like dirty laundry and you get that basket to the bottom. And then somehow somebody put some dirty laundry in there again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I would I will do my best to answer you and help guide as much as I can, um, because I do love that. I do love students. and making a difference in people's lives. So yes. And then a children's house for the soul website is a childrenshouse.org. We are going through some changes. We are going to be closing the orange doors to our physical location um, and pushing the pause button um, for a minute here. Um, And we are going to be reimagining how we're going to move forward. And who knows, maybe somebody listening right now may be a part of that reimagined future. Perfect. And we'll go ahead and leave um, Dr. Bree's email and the, the website for the Children's House in the show notes. So go ahead and take a look there. 
um, keep updated on the reimagining that's happening with the Children's House for a Soul. We want to say thank you, Dr. Bree, so much for coming and spending some time with us, sharing some great life lessons and advice, and as well as inspiring us on how to be better physicians, whether dermatologists, pediatric dermatologists, or whatever we might pursue. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you so, so much. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermintrustpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.